This is Steve McLeod, and you are listening to Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies. In episode 224, my co-host Ed and I talk about how currency fluctuations are affecting our pricing, and we give our opinion on the recent acquisition of Postmark, a bootstrapping success story used by many of us by Active Campaign. Before we continue, a brief note about an error in this episode. At one point, I complained about a customer support problem I once had when trying to sign up for Active Campaign. After recording, I realized I had confused Active Campaign with Campaign Monitor, a completely different company. Let the record show that I've never had any experience with Active Campaign, neither good nor bad. Apologies for my confusion. Ed, last time we talked, you suggested to me implicitly that I connect Stripe to Slack so I can see what's happening when your customers sign up. Well, something happened on Sunday and I discovered it on Monday via that Slack integration. I saw that? that a new customer had signed up, a trial customer. They had tried to convert almost immediately to paid customer paying $7,500 per month. Like I didn't even know it was possible for our system to charge that much, but it turns out that you can change the board count and quantity to 77 as they did. And at $99 per board, it works up to more than $7,500 per month. Payment failed. You said, was this our actual real potential customer that went to that? Or do you think it was just someone made a mistake or was screwing with you or what? Or... Well, I wanted to investigate and find out. So there were already some flags, some red flags, like on a Sunday and converting from like trial customer to paid customer straight away. Yeah. So we almost never get customers who sign up on Sundays who become paid customers. We almost never get people who, who actually on a Sunday convert from trial to paid and their email address was a gmail.com email address. And we yes. almost never get people sign up with gmail.com becoming paid customers. However, there are exceptions to all of those. So I wasn't discounting it straight away. So let's look a bit more. What address did this person use? Somalia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are there still warlords governing Somalia? Is it a little bit more stable than that? But it's not exactly the country where you think there's a lot of people wanting feature request boards. It's definitely not 77 of them. Now, is Somalia proper or the, the separatist region, Somaliland? I um, didn't investigate that level of detail. At this point, I thought red flag one, red flag two, red flag three being Somalia. I think we can say this is not a, a real deal. Then I go and look at more into their account and find out I can't because they had actually deleted it. So within an hour, they had gone, create account, try to sign up for a huge, huge monthly payment, uh, delete account. But you, you have to wonder what, the motivation was in that, you know, I've heard of, I've heard of people, um, you know, they get stolen credit card numbers and they try to put through a very minor charge so they can see right. if the, if the, verify if the card, card working works, or, right. I don't, I don't get what exactly how, how they win by charging 7,500 or whatever, you know. Right. And they had to enter MasterCard details, whether it was just a made up number, I don't know, but the Stripe message was declined due to insufficient funds. Bummer. Yeah. Bummer. So uh, my, my suspicion is it was somebody hacking around and just seeing what happens if I put in big numbers and faulty data, do I get any information out in an error message or something? 
that's, I mean, yeah, the, the instant reaction when you saw that Slack notification, though, of someone trying to put through 7,500, uh, yeah. Actually, we, um, we just last week had our first ever disputed charge. And this is really frustrating because it was a customer in Mexico paying in Mexican pesos. And when the guy signed up, you know, the card, he, he signed up and then he tried the card several times and it kind of failed. And then I think he switched cards and, and, and it's a small amount. It's like, uh, the equivalent of like $20 or something. So now in hindsight, I guess maybe it was someone trying to put through a smaller charge order, but the thing is he actually then used our service, you know, like, so, so then he became a customer and then he actually used our service a little bit. Um, not, not a, a major amount or anything, but he actually did. So from our side, all I can see is someone came there, you know, they tried two or three different cards. One of them eventually worked, which is actually not that rare in, um, let's say markets like Mexico or Brazil or whatever, where not everyone has a card and maybe they, you know, maybe the cards in there in the, not in the company name, but in the boss's name or whatever. And, and, and then he had legitimate usage. So yeah. it's not clear to me how I could have determined that, that this was in some way fraudulent. But then all of a sudden we got a notification from Stripe and they're like, you know, I guess the, the bank or whatever, this card was reported stolen and they dispute it. And so, you know, I was like, all right, fine. It's just $20. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend time arguing about this. I'm going to have to accept that. But so your point is it's odd to steal a card and then use it for geocoding services and not for like gold or iPhones or well, air flights or something. I, not that. I mean, I guess, I guess if the guy wanted to steal the card and use it for geocoding fine but it wasn't it's not clear to me how i could have just based on this user's behavior determined yeah. this to be fraudulent behavior yeah I, I i don't think there was any way i could have and so and that's it's kind of part of the risk of accepting credit cards mm. so this is your if this is your first dispute in what six seven years of business yeah and this is my that's amazing dude this is my you know every now and again the people at stripe uh, well, I, you know, a lot of them are quite active on Twitter and, uh, including some of the, I guess, senior people or people who have been there for a long time or whatever. And they'll always be like, who has suggestions for how we could make Stripe better? And I always suggest, I'm like, you should give me a way to put a badge on my website that shows, you know, somehow unfakeably, you know, this merchant has had, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions and had no disputes. Mm -hmm. Or, or you know, less than point zero zero one percent disputes or whatever. And every time, the Stripe guy is like, "Oh my God, that's a great idea!" And it gets tons of likes. And uh -huh. that's and, the stri Stripe modus operandi. And uh, here we are, five years yeah. later, and I don't have my badge. So <laughs> yeah, at first it was really great to see how eager the Stripe people were to listen to our suggestions, and then I realized eventually, ah, uh, this is just what they do. And of course, they get so many suggestions, so many, so often for so many people that they can only implement a, a small subset of them, but it's this, uh, like, oh, that's great. Yeah. We'll already consider that. And like, yeah. are you really going to consider it though? Well, I tell you about the time I, um, I dissed Stripe on, on Twitter and their, their founder, what's his name? Patrick Collison DM'd me and asked me right. for more details about my diss. Uh, I was thinking like, I mean, dude, you've got a bit more interesting stuff to do than want, want to know why I complained about something on Stripe.
It would it would be fascinating to get. I mean, I'm sure they must have so many uh, behind the scenes issues going on in terms of like with fraudulent behavior and things like yeah. that. Uh, it yeah. would really be fascinating to um, to hear some of those stories. I mean, I can only imagine. I, uh, and of course, they'll never tell them because like this is the stuff you need to keep private. So otherwise, well, it's you could do it anonymously. You could say, you know, this scammer tried to do this or whatever. I mean, I what twenty years ago when I worked at Yahoo in Germany. We had, um, you know, several customer support people. And by the end, we had one full-time person working just on dealing with the police. Because every, every day, so many, like, subpoenas and things would come in because, you know, there would be some criminal case. And then, like, you know, they would be like, oh, we need to subpoena the communications to... And, and the person used a Yahoo account. And it was just... It was just amazing to see how many things mm. there were like mm. how much the support burden here was yeah um and, and, and we then, use a company like stripe to insulate us from this so that for the most yeah. part we don't see we don't care we don't know until you get that one disputed charge finally so are you just going to let it go you're just going to yeah, say well, yeah, we, we, accept. we accepted the dispute yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was 20 dollars, so it, it was yeah. not worth and you have like a, a fee that Stripe charges you, or the I guess, like, but it, another it's not much. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, it's not worth not whatever. worth spending any time on that. It was just it was frustrating to break our unbroken streak. You know? Oh no! Oh no! Well, now so, you're a real business. That's I what guess, you needed. I mean, you're not a real SaaS until you've had a disputed charge. I think we've had two in five years of feature upvote, and both yeah. times they really annoy me. And one time I even think it was like, like they had been paying for some months and using the account. And I just kind of feel like it, it was the way they just chose to cancel the account or perhaps, you know, one person in the organization didn't talk to the other person, whatever. Mm. I felt like it was, I could fight it or win, but I decided it's just not worth the time. Right. Right. Okay. What else we got, Steve? What do we, what, what's on our agenda for today? I want to talk about currency fluctuations. So. Both you and I have our pricing on for our SaaS in multiple currencies. And in the last couple of months, the US dollars got much stronger against both the euro and the great British pound, the GBP, pound sterling. And now I've noticed that our new customers, if they choose to pay in euros, they're actually getting our product for 15% cheaper than if they choose to pay in US dollars. And we give people the right to cho choose whatever yeah. currency they want. And I'm thinking maybe it's time to actually uh, recalibrate my pricing. Well, see, Steve, this is why we we now take payment in Bitcoin because it's a source of stability, you know, mm -hmm. and, and other crypto. It's never going to fluctuate, you know. It's a real um, listen. This bedrock. Big air quotes above <laughs> Ed's head as he says that you don't. First of all, you don't accept Bitcoin. Do no, you? we don't. Obviously, we don't <laughs> okay. accept Bitcoin. What the hell? And I, you know, frankly, not even by Salvadorians. I've never had a customer ask to pay in Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. I mean, it's a complete farce, this idea that um, crypto is actually going to be used to pay for anything. Um, anyway. Going back, back, going back to Stripe, they actually accepted Bitcoin for a little while, a few years back, maybe about 10 years, eight years ago, until they very quickly decided that A, very few people actually used it, and B, it was a real headache to, for them to deal absolutely. with. Absolutely, yeah. Well, can you imagine the accounting around that? Um, Anyway, uh, so coming to your point, yes, we do accept uh, payment in uh, six or seven or eight different currencies. Um, yes, sometimes currencies go up, sometimes they go down. 
I take the approach is, that it, it balances out in the end. I mean, we have had some fluctuation in the last couple of years. I mean, particularly uh, with Brexit and the pound and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I guess probably at, at maybe we should have a look. But, you know, I mean, yes, maybe it goes 10% one direction today. But in six months, maybe it's maybe it's back the other direction. It, it, it's not worth the, the effort. And I just fundamentally take the approach it's better to get a new customer and get them to become a loyal repeating customer um, than it is to quibble about, uh, you know, 10%. Like the reason we offer the the local currencies is because I want the customer to have the impression that I want to make it as easy as possible for the customer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they know what they're committing to spend in their currency. Exactly. Month after month. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's worth it. If I get just one additional customer by doing yeah. that, then, right. then it balances out the plus, you yeah. know, I mean, barring like, you know, we don't take payment in rubles or anything like that. But, you know, the major currencies, okay, fine, plus, minus 10, 15%, but it's yeah. going to balance out. It's not, it's, it's a short term thing. If I do recalibrate, I certainly won't change things for existing customers. This will just be for new customers. Now, in the past, when I had a desktop product, a desktop software that was a single price purchase, pay once and you're done. Right. Then I did recalibrate the prices once a year. It okay. just was simple to do and made sense. But if I do it now with, with feature up folk, then it's a whole new set of pricings in plan, pricing plans in our database and our Stripe account. And, and it just, it's just more and more like stuff. Exactly. Tweaking your prices. If you, you know, it, it, it does create this kind of, you know, technical debt of like which customer was on which plan and how long you could let them keep that plan or, you know, is it forever or after a year or, you know, it, it it's not quite as trivial as just changing the number on the web page. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, uh, yeah, the website and, and Stripe and then in our own database and, and then just getting to this point in three or four years time, well, we've already got plenty of prices in our system because we've raised our prices, I think had original prices and then raised it three times. So we've got four sets of prices already. Right. Uh, and plus there's different people on various discounts and whatever yeah, enterprise sure. plans and already it's enough. Yeah. It, it can, it can get complicated. Yes. And yet if I was advising somebody else with a B2B SaaS, I'd be telling them, and they had multiple currencies, I'd be telling them once a year, set a date to check your prices and recalibrate if necessary. In this case, I'm not following my own advice, but. I do think it's at least something worth considering uh, on a regular basis if you have multiple prices, multiple currencies. Yeah, I think it depends on your product, on the competition and what they're doing, uh, uh, the expectation of the customers, you know, you gotta, yeah. you, uh, everyone needs to judge for themselves. So, And sure, it's one thing when it's a 10 or 15% change, but the, the, for example, before I lived in Europe, I was living in Australia. And when I came to Australia, there were, it was uh, one euro was two Australian dollars. And over time, it got to the point where briefly where they were almost one-to-one. -one. So we're talking about a 50% change there. And in this case, like your prices are way out of whack if in one currency, they're half the price of another. So it's still, I think maybe 15% the maximum I'd be willing to let the, the, the prices get out of whack, at least for major first world countries. For yeah. Brazil or India, it's different because I don't mind if they're paying less. Yeah. Uh, well, just to add to the fun, Steve, I believe it is in January of this year, Croatia will be joining the Euro. 
which means for a six month period, officially they'll have two currencies, two legal currencies. So, okay, I was not aware I'm, of I'm, that. I'm sure you tested your software for that, right? <laughs> uh, we used to, with the, the, the previous desktop software, we had our own table of the VAT rates, the VAT rates, or yeah. tax rates, and that I soon learned was idiotic because nightmare. This always seems to be some country in the European Union adjusting them up or down oh, or putting yeah. in special conditions or whatever. I, I learned eventually just hand that over to someone else, which was Quaderno. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree. And now, now happily, uh, Stripe takes care of that. Moving on, Ed, you're a Postmark customer, you told me before we started recording. I'm also a Postmark customer. Did you hear their big news? Yeah, they 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 sold. Um, Postmark has been sold, and yeah, very happy customer. We've been a customer of theirs for several years. Great service. Can mm -hmm. uh, uh, unreservedly recommend it. For people unfamiliar uh, with Postmark, it sends emails, transactional emails, emails from our app. So very so, high deliverability, and they allow you to go and look at the records for the last thirty days of all the emails that got sent and actually got processed and kind of delivered or which ones bounced and so on. You can really see which emails got to people and which ones didn't get to people. Yeah, and also the, the pricing was it was completely fair. Um, yeah, I, oh, I, that I, really hit the, the hit the nail on the head with pricing. They've, they've perfected it. Yeah, the pricing yeah. that's, I think it was free or very cheap for starters, and then it grows as your uh, quantity grows in a very, a very almost linear way. Yeah, so it, it was a little shocking to hear that they saw because they're... Um, Obviously, we were bootstrapped. Fully bootstrapped. Yeah. So, the, so I think the parent company is called, or was called Wildbit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they've, they've been on many of the podcasts and other blog posts all about running a bootstrap business. And I, I, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they were also like a, a you know, had a remote team before that, but kind of became a normal right, thing. Right. They did and four day work week for four, four days, kind of four yeah. eight hour days. They, they, uh, what they call it, people first company. Right. And they were really, really proselytizing that concept to the point of trying to set up a job board for other people first companies right. and, uh, always talking about how they're in this for the long run and so on. And then we find out that they've sold to active campaign, which is a much bigger company. Yeah. Uh, well, in fairness, I think it, it was an operation for 20 years or so is like, okay, so. I don't know, man. I, you know, as someone who also had a company and sold it, you, you get, well, first of all, as the saying goes, everyone exits their business eventually. <laughs> so, um, hard for me to judge what this means. I, I, I don't, I don't hold it against anyone that they sold their business. Obviously, uh, I was very happy with the service and I don't want it to change at all. So. Yeah, uh, I would I would be very pleased if everything stays exactly as it was, be it the service, be it the pricing, be it um, all of it. So. What I liked about Postmark a lot was when I would write to them with sometimes quite technical questions because it's the nature of email yeah. site and setting it up as technical, highly technical. You'd get somebody knowledgeable and willing to take the time to understand and explain clearly. This was the way they worked. There was none of this like first level support, second level support. You always got that person who can help, and I, I fear that that won't be the case forever. Now, look, things do change, but I, I fear that this is not going to be maintained long term. Maybe in the short term, and I could be just being pessimistic because of things you know having been burnt in the past, uh, and and it makes me kind of sad 
that you know maybe eventually I'll, I'll well have you to know, consider Steve, other options. Let's not you know let's not uh, uh, panic just yet. I mean uh, you know I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and see how it goes. Obviously, if the service does get worse or the the pricing is, gets shocked up, yes, of course, then we'll have to find an alternative. Um, but like you say, it's completely the business of the people who sold it. That's uh, Chris and Natalie. But Natalie wrote a really good blog post about why they sold. And she talked about how they've been running this since they were straight out of high school, more or less. I think her husband started the company. She joined soon after. And it, this is what they've been doing since they were almost almost not much older than kids. Yeah. And they really did believe that this, this was something they were doing for long term. But then at some point, they just thought, our heart's not in this anymore. Like, we, I think she even wrote, like, we don't even want to do tech for a while. We're going to take some time off from working and thinking about our future. And maybe when the next thing we do, it won't even be in tech. I kind of understand that. Well, that's what happens, Steve, when you, when you work on a, you know, a boring technical subject like email sending instead of something glamorous like geocoding. Yeah, or feature know. request tracking. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. Obviously, you know, who can, who can criticize someone who wants to take a break after, after so long and building such a good, I mean, of course they should do I'm that. I'm by no means criticizing. I just, I just find it really interesting to, to hear them, uh, say this because I think this is something that a lot of us feel from time to time. It's like, oh, I'm done with this. Like, you know, this, this type of business, this type of, uh, being in tech and so on. And the, oh my God, the, my old business in London, I got so tired of it of just continually spending all my mental energy on just this one topic you know and it, you just get burned yeah. out you just get burned out and then and then you you see i mean i can imagine this must really be the case for them like having done it for 20 years i mean email is you know in many ways an old technology right and you see all these other new exciting things happening and uh, in new startups and new you know and uh you know, it's always, uh, the grass is always greener. So the constant fight against yourself to chase after the shiny object, yeah. the shiny object syndrome, which so, are good on them for resisting that. I mean, Wildbit did have some other products that over the years, I don't know if wait, they sold so them or closed them down. That's, that's my question. I mean, Wildbit is continuing, isn't it? And those other products. No, not are... really. No. Oh, right. Okay. okay no, I, didn't I get think, that. I think, I think it got to the point with Postmark. Now I'm speaking out of school. I, I don't know the details, but I think it got to the point where Postmark was their business. Okay. So the other pro products got closed down or sold off or something. I, I don't know exactly. Uh, they had, um, some type of, uh, source control product. Oh, right. Okay. Beanstalk, mm -hmm. uh, I and think everyone uses GitHub now. Do you know anything about the acquirer? I, 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 I mean, I yeah. heard the name, but I, I had no interaction yeah. with them. It's active campaign, I think. Yeah. Again, I, I really should research these details more before I start talking. I'm now actually having said active campaign, I'm thinking, have I got them mixed up? But this is an email newsletter company, right? Right. Okay. So now that company wants to do transactional emails as well. So, uh, postmark is, is right for them. If it's the company I'm thinking of, they're based in Sydney, Australia. And again, if it's the company I'm thinking of, I've had some trouble with them in the past. I actually tried to become a customer of theirs and their systems couldn't cope that I use the web in English, but I'm in Spain. And it kept on sending me in this loop from Spanish to English to Spanish to English when I was trying to change things. That's the worst, the worst. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. And you know, too, also like working and in English. And there are some services where you just cannot... I use, um, I mean, 
Do you know that app, um, Free Now, the taxi app? Yeah, yeah. So I became a customer when I was in Barcelona because there's no Uber. But then I'll be in Germany and it's still like sending me emails in Spanish. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and you try like five times to. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I don't mind that we, uh, the occasional promotional email in Spanish, fine. I can just delete it. But then when you're like in the payment stuff in the language, you're not fully confident. Uh -huh. And you're know, like, ah, I don't know what exactly what this button does. And uh -huh. it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Especially when there's an error message, right? If, if you're going yeah, down exactly. the happy path, that's fine. But as soon as it says, oops, something went wrong, you're thinking, oh no. What, what, what's going it's, on here? Has it charged me? Hasn't it charged me? And so many companies really struggle with this. Uh, it's hard. Localization is really hard. Mm. But uh, an active campaign did a particularly bad job. I'm going to go on the record and say that because when I wrote to them and said, look, I'm trying to use your product and I'm stuck in this loop I can't get out of, they didn't seem to care. It's like, oh, that's so people in Spain can use the product or something like this. And I'm thinking, I'm in Spain. I can't use your product. Yeah. Try it again, maybe six months or a year later, same thing. And, you know, I reported it and, and they didn't seem to care. And this is, this is what got me worried about Postmark being acquired. Not that Postmark got sold. That's again, that's their well, business, but by the company that acquired it, because I've had this, this, I don't care type of support. In the I don't past. know, but I mean, there's always two ways you can look at that, right? It could be that the acquirer purchases the, the, the small successful company doing it well with the intention of then like, you know, jacking up prices and, and mm. whatever. Or it could be the other way. It could be, imagine, you know, the management at, at the, the acquirer is like, we suck at support. We're not good at it. Let's, you know, mm. acquire, let's bring in people who are good at it and let's learn from them. I don't know. Who yeah. are you? Who are you, Ed? You're very optimistic. Where's the real Ed? <laughs> He's a bit more pessimistic than this. Ah, you look you know. like him, you sound like him, but the things you're saying are not what he'd normally say. Oh, come on, Steve. Come on. Let's, let's give him a chance. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll give him a chance, of course. I'll keep using Postmark happily and keep paying them and hope for the best. Um, yeah, and in fact, speaking of uh, the Wildbit team, Natalie from Wildbit was the last guest on this very podcast under the previous incarnation with Ian Landsman and Andre Bultoff, the very All last right. guest on the show. And because for like two years, there were no, no new episodes, when you came to the homepage, that was the episode you saw. All right. So even now, that's the most listened to episode of this podcast by a long way. Oh, okay. I, I have heard her. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was on that, on various podcasts. And, and you know, they had, they had a great story to tell. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. a, an inspiring, uh, you know, company for any bootstrapper out there and um, you know, so that's exactly why you also have to say good for them. And, and, uh, you know, now is the time for them to step away. I hope they, I hope they did well out of it. I hope they didn't do so well that the acquirer now feels like they have to, you know, triple the costs so that, yeah. they, so they yeah. recoup the, the expense of the acquisition. But, um, you know, all you can do is kind of applaud. So now the company was a hundred percent owned by the founders. But the whole, the whole team has gone across to active campaign. And I think they wrote that they took a percentage of the acquisition price and gave that to the staff based on uh, how many months each of how them have been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was a really, a really nice thing to do. Share the wealth to some degree with people and the ones who have been longer, the, the more they got. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Good for them.
I did have some more things to discuss, but I think we're getting close to a full episode. What a cliffhanger, Steve. What, what a I cliffhanger. Mean, what, 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 you're just going to leave us like that? And then for two weeks too. Jesus. What, for two weeks or longer, depending. Actually, one more question. Always one more question. Since we last talked, you, you went on the road. You were talking or present at a conference in I, Germany? I was at a conference in Munich, um, completely unrelated to my business. Uh, uh, it was a kind of personal finance conference, um, which actually might be an interesting topic for us to discuss at some point. Um, you it's know, just something a, about a, personal finance? Well, it, not, 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 not really, actually. I, uh, that, it, that was what made it very interesting because I, and it's a, not a world I'm deeply involved in. Um, but I talked about kind of investing in startups and, uh, the conference was organized by, um, a good a buddy of mine and a former, um, former colleague. And actually he has one of the leading, um, German finance podcasts. And in, I think a week or two, we're going to record, I'm going to record with him and we're going to kind of review what was discussed at the conference. So in, in German, in German. Yeah. So you'll have to learn German if, if you want to get the details, but, um, it was fun. It, it was, it was great. It was, it was a great, like, you know, post Corona event. It was, it was great to be back in Munich where I'd lived for many years, uh, met some very interesting new people. Um, actually some, some of whom had, uh, very interesting businesses, founders of businesses, uh, not all by any means, but, um, but some, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Okay. Very good event. And what was your role at the conference? Uh, I was one of the panelists and, and so I was talking, people talked about different, um, uh, mostly, uh, most of the other panelists are, are financial bloggers or podcasters. And typically most of them cover different kind of asset classes. Like one guy uh, is all about buying mutual funds. One guy about individual stock picking. One guy about peer to peer loans. One guy about crypto. And so the, and, and so I was doing, talking about angel investing and we kind of talked about the pros and cons of our asset class and, um, you know, who it would be appropriate for, who it wouldn't be appropriate for. And then also, you know, and then some discussion between the different panelists about like why, why I think this will work or not. And then, uh, lots of questions from the attendees and things. I mean, so it was fun, very, very good, 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 uh, good meal afterwards. Um, uh, so there are probably about a hundred attendees and then you, people could, if they wanted to, could, could pay for the VIP dinner where they got to have dinner with the panelists with you uh, with me with people me, paid exactly. money to have dinner with you absolutely, absolutely and i get to have dinner with you free when we whenever we catch up in real life well i, I need to talk I to feel, you about I feel Steve. Privileged. it's uh you know you know as i say you got to charge more so um yeah for now on dinner is gonna cost you but um it was it was a great chance it, it was a great like post corona event like going out meeting mm. new people learning about new things that I'd know, um, you know, not that I'm not involved with day to day. It, it was, it was very refreshing. Oh, great. So, so stays are coming back in force. Exactly. Let's hope they stay here. All right. Well then let's really finish up this time. <laughs> All right. Ed, as always, it's been a pleasure. See you in a couple of weeks, Steve. Bye. See you soon. Bye everybody.